The B-Rad Podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, Chili Pad, temperature-controlled mattress systems, Inside Tracker, blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one, and New Optimal, three nootropic supplements designed to improve focus, memory, and drive. And check out the bradkerns.com shop page, my personal selection of favorite products with great discounts for health, fitness, and peak performance. The number of men over age 50 who are lifelong diehard endurance heads who suddenly develop cardiac arrhythmias is getting bigger by the week. The extreme endurance exercise hypothesis is real and it's very, very dangerous to overdo it if you're in that category. Because you're emphasizing fat burning, you can probably get away with uh, doing the workout in a fasted state and also fasting afterward. I want to tell you about Inside Tracker, an awesome new ultra personalized nutrition and lifestyle program that combines data from your comprehensive blood panels, genetic test results, and lifestyle and fitness data from a Fitbit, for example, and organizes everything into one super cool online portal of your personal health. I am just getting going with this, and it's awesome. It has everything in one spot. For every blood result, you can click on a blog post or watch a video to learn more about these values. It's a great education in general health and self-quantification, and it was developed by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard. The patented Inside Tracker algorithm calculates your so-called inner age, and it shows each biomarker as either optimized, needs to improve, or at risk. And then you can take precise corrective action with a science-backed plan to reach your performance goals. Oh, mercy, people. On my first round of testing, guess what my inner age was? 62! Shocker! Because I just turned 56. I'm sorry. You know what? When I delivered that blood test, I believe I was a little overtired, and several of my biomarkers were deemed to be subpar. So I made some changes as directed. I recovered better, rested, went back, and delivered way better numbers at the next blood test. The Insight Tracker motto is change is an inside job and that is for real you got to keep tabs on this stuff to be at your best and they have an amazing deal just for brad podcast listeners they are going to give away a grand prize of fifteen hundred dollars in inside tracker value so to enter all you have to do is go to insidetracker.com slash Brad Pod, B R A D P O D. Check it out right now at the link and enter the contest. Do you remember that it's time for a QA show on the B Rad Podcast? Thank you for listening and especially thank you for writing in these extremely insightful questions. We have all kinds of fun stuff to cover today. The questions are backing up. I'm going to try to cover a bunch. And hey, if you want to participate, email podcast at bradventures.com. And here we go. Dustin, coming out of the gate. Thank you for your podcast. I just listened to your show on Hurt versus Hit. That's high-intensity repeat training versus high-intensity interval training. That was the title of a transformative article by my former podcast guest, Dr. Craig Marker. It appeared on BreakingMuscle.com. Uh, we adapted that to a feature post on Mark's Daily Apple titled Hurt versus Hit. So you can go look at uh, either of those resources. We'll put it in the show notes and get all caught up on what I think is one of the great insights I've heard for many years in the fitness industry about essentially a kinder, gentler approach to explosive, high-intensity training. 
contrasting the popular modality of HIT, high intensity interval training, where by and large, from what I see, from my perspective, uh, a lot of the traditional fitness programming is abusing the concept and uh, delivering uh, workout templates that are uh, too long in duration, too exhausting, uh, not easy to adapt to for the average fitness enthusiast. So we'd all be better off cutting the duration of our high-intensity interval workouts back in favor of performing some brief, explosive, high-intensity efforts with long rest intervals, luxurious rest intervals, Dr. Marker calls them, and doing these workouts few and far between and having them be truly explosive with excellent form, feeling energetic, uh, consistent quality of effort throughout each uh, sprint interval that you're doing so you don't have a degradation of performance and technique as the workout continues due to accumulated fatigue, but you feel strong and explosive. And then the workout's over before you've uh, overstimulated the stress hormones or become too tired and broken down and uh, experiencing prolonged recovery time. So it's go hit it hard and go home. That is the essence of the hit versus hurt. And back to Dustin's question. Uh, I'm learning how to box. I'm taking some group classes at age 47, just trying to stay in shape. The classes last 45 minutes, and they're pretty much pushing us hard for 35 minutes of the class. Uh, I'm worried about the risk of overtraining and wondering how you might approach that class. They don't give long breaks. But I was thinking if I could modify my effort to push hard for 10 to 20 seconds, uh, not do too many during the class, um, just a little bit concerned. Uh, I want to learn how to box. I don't want to quit the class, but I don't want to harm my body either. What's up from Northern California? Hey, uh, this is a dilemma you're facing, Dennis. Thank you for writing in. Um, yeah, that sounds like a typical, uh, potentially exhaustive hit class where they're pushing you hard for 35 minutes of the class. Uh, your idea of modifying your own personal effort inside the class template, uh, I think, is on the right track. It's very difficult to do to maintain that discipline to say, hey, I'm going to stay under control while I do these 20 body punches that they've just called for rather than uh, go to maximum uh, with the exhortations of the instructor and then move right into something else that's really difficult. Uh, but if you can succeed in just dialing everything back a bit, because a 35-minute duration of hard work is simply too long for the recreational person, especially if you do the class more than once in a blue moon. Now, if you do the class once a month or something, and you want to get good at boxing, and you push yourself really hard, anything's fine to do once in a while, right? An extreme effort will stimulate a profound fitness response if you do it once in a while. But if it's your template, if it's your go-to workout, like the CrossFit session that's lasting for an hour and you go there four or five days a week and you're mixing in all this different forms of high intensity training with minimal rest and especially doing complex movements in a fatigue state, you're elevating your injury risk and your burnout risk. So if you can attend these classes and really back off to where you're even punching or doing your drills in the aerobic heart rate zone rather than anaerobic, you might be able to get through the class uh, with more success and minimal downside risk. Otherwise, uh, I'm suggesting that maybe you don't attend that frequently because it's simply uh, too much duration of really hard work. And so uh, just kind of flying under the radar a little bit, really monitoring your energy. And once in a while, you can, uh, you know, take one of the segments and punch really hard for 10 to 20 seconds, like you mentioned, and then really dog it through the next one. But with all that group energy, I'm saying that's a difficult, difficult thing to do. Once you show up in class, generally, you end up working really hard. But if you think about the real boxers who are out there preparing for the title fight, they are so well conditioned that they're not really exhausting themselves during their daily training sessions. They're out there doing road work in the morning. They're generally uh, running at a comfortable pace, an aerobic pace. And then they're in the gym doing this, doing that, working on their technique. But they're not laying in a pile of sweat, I promise you, on a daily basis. And that goes the same for any elite athlete in any high-intensity explosive sport that we're trying to uh, model their 
their training, uh, these guys are so supremely conditioned, guys and gals, that they're well within themselves, perhaps to a greater degree than the average recreational fitness enthusiast that's trying to get through a CrossFit session. So Matt Frazier, uh, Annie Goodman's daughter, the great champions of the CrossFit Games, are so fit that they can go through their, whatever it is, their two hours of training every day and feel better than the person who's been at it for a few months and is trying to hang in the class. So keep that in your mind that, boy, it's uh, the, the idea of you know pushing yourself to the brink is something that really needs to be thrown out once and for all. Next, great letter from Mario. Uh, there's a dilemma that's come up. This question's come up frequently. And generally, it's the compare and contrast to the message, the strategy communicated in the primal endurance method or the mafetone method, uh, the training at the maximum aerobic heart rate uh, versus the primal blueprint fitness template of saying that we want to move frequently at a slow pace, we want to do a couple strength training sessions a week, and we want to do one sprint session a week. So if you have distinct endurance goals, then most of your training energy is going to go toward uh, workouts that approximate the challenge of what you're facing in the race, especially if you're a triathlete where you have to become competent at swimming, biking, running. So you're going to putting in, be putting in a lot of time uh, training at an aerobic pace, developing your skill in the three uh, events of the triathlon, or if you're an ultra runner, you're going to be putting a lot of time in on the trails, and you're going to be de-emphasizing the energy output for strength training in the gym or sprinting. Uh, they definitely have a place, the strength training and the sprinting, in the overall big picture. And so that's where the concept of periodization comes in, where you're going to dedicate certain periods of the year to strictly building an aerobic base and not putting any energy or very minimal energy into sprinting and strength training because you want all that energy to go toward aerobic. And then you can transition into a different training phase where you back off from the volume and you start to pay more attention to getting stronger in the gym and even throwing in some sprints. Uh, yes, sprints will have a definitely beneficial fitness impact, even for an ultra marathon athlete, because when you sprint and gain competency, uh, performing at maximum intensity, you also get better at all lower levels of intensity by logical conclusion, right? Uh, so your jogging gets easier because your bones, joints, connective tissue, heart and lungs, oxygen delivery, fat metabolism, everything is upregulated by your sprint workouts, but they take a lot of energy, they take a lot of recovery, and so the strategy is really important. The more distinct and uh, narrow and specific your goals are. So the endurance athletes are generally going to be found doing a lot of endurance training. But if you're going for total body fitness, anti-aging, uh, disease prevention, injury prevention, longevity promoting, uh, that's when you want to open up the lens wider and strive for this strategic blend of low-level cardiovascular exercise. And we're going to throw into that category all forms of general everyday movement, walking, jogging if you're really fit, doing the morning stretching exercise mobility routine that I talk about. Everything counts in the category of movement. And then you're going to uh, have a strategic placement of resistance exercise where you do uh, full body functional compound movements, the good stuff in the gym like squats and deadlifts, or you can use the resistance tubing like the X3 bar or the stretch cords or any form of resistance training that you prefer, uh, the exercise machine circuit in the gym. And then you're also going to have that critical obligation to sprint once in a while and put your body uh, into uh, maximum energy expenditure for very brief explosive effort, sprinting being the best, sprinting on flat ground and getting that impact uh, trauma and the bone density benefits accordingly. So there is a difference based on your fitness goals. Um, that was Mario's question. He says he's um, a big fan of X3 and OsteoStrong from Dr. John Jakewish, my former podcast guest. Listen to that show to learn all about the wonders, the benefits of variable resistance training. And um, yeah, good stuff. Thanks a lot for, for writing in. 
uh, Iron, the longtime listener, old friend of mine, and extreme endurance athlete from the old days who has successfully recovered from a heart transplant a few years ago after being on his deathbed for many months at Stanford Hospital. What an amazing story of recovery and bounce back. And also a cautionary tale because this is a guy who put it out there and trained to the extreme for many, many years, dating back to high school. And was out there on the triathlon scene for a long time. Uh, marketing expert, worked for a lot of major brands like Muscle Milk, Cytosport. And he writes in just to remind us uh, the amount, the number of men over age 50 who are lifelong diehard endurance heads who suddenly develop cardiac arrhythmias is getting bigger by the week. There are some very compelling articles on this in the past few years, especially uh, when you're doing the, uh, the, the non-impact sports like cycling and you're going out there with the ability to go for four hours a day, right? Unlike a runner who's constrained by the impact trauma, and even the extreme runners are getting up to 100 miles a week, which really only represents, uh, you know, 10, 15 hours a week, where the cyclist can go for 20 or 30 hours a week, pegging their heart rate up there at the high aerobic or even beyond day after day after day, year after year. The constant enlargement and inflammation to heart walls and cardiomyocytes has been very close examined for the past six or seven years. Um, You can read about this further in the book Primal Endurance, but this is a major problem uh, that deserves more attention. Uh, I just read a recent article. You can Google. We'll have the link in the show notes. Elite American triathlete by the name of Tim O'Donnell, who was second place in the Hawaii Ironman World Championships in 2019. So the cream of the crop, one of the finest ultra-distance athletes on the planet today had a freaking heart attack during a race in Florida in 2021 and was uh, sent to the hospital. It was a pretty severe one. They call it the widow maker because of the nearly complete blockage of the important artery and best wishes to his recovery. Uh, But we all need to sit back and reflect further and look at some of the articles that have come about. Uh, One is called One Foot in the Grave. I believe that was published by Outside Magazine in recent years. There was another article called Running on Empty, uh, published by the Wall Street Journal. And you can find this stuff and read these tales of real live athletes who are kicking butt, uh, especially in the ultra scene. There's been uh, an alarming drop off of guys who are running at world class level, breaking records on the important courses and races, and then disappeared from the scene entirely and reporting these strange symptoms of chronic fatigue and heart problems. And boy, it's uh, it's something really to reflect upon. Uh, Leonard Zinn, who's been a longtime leader in the cycling community, uh, author, uh, makes his own bike frames, and a longtime competitor in Masters Bicycle Racing, uh, had a severe heart incident and recovering from that in recent years. So um, tone it down. The extreme endurance exercise hypothesis is real, and it's very, very dangerous to overdo it if you're in that category. Um, Fantastic recovery from Jeff Iron Montgomery and continued best wishes to him as he continues with his new life, his new lease on life with a new heart. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. 
you visit the website gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Okay, uh, here comes Mark. Hey, Brad, I love your podcast so much. I spent the last six months doing a lot of things you recommend. Two meals a day, lower intake of refined carbohydrates, lots of walking and easy biking, high-intensity repeat training. Nice job, mate and doing the proper resistance training. I went from 16.9% body fat down to 13. Looking good. He lost 6.5 pounds of fat. I also lost 2.1 pounds of lean body mass. Now, question. I was eating in a compressed time window of about six hours. So that would be an 18-hour fast on a daily basis with a six-hour eating window. I thought I was getting adequate protein and doing the adequate resistance training, uh, but he is concerned about losing that 2.1 pounds of lean body mass. Now, when you're on the plan, Stan, man, and you're trying to lose a lot of body fat and go from 17% down to 13, that is some major progress by the body, and it takes a lot of hard work and dedication and devotion, and obviously uh, eating in calorie deficit for a bit to make that happen. And as a consequence, dropping some of that lean body mass happened. Uh, I wouldn't say that's the end of the world. I think you're in superior metabolic condition than you were before you started your journey when you were up at 17% body fat. Oh, excuse me, 16.9. But we do not want to continue this as a pattern. The goal is to maintain or regain lean body mass if you want to put that mass back on without adding excess body fat. So I'm going to say don't worry about it too much. 2.1 pounds of lean muscle mass is not a disaster uh, when it come with the, the baby in the bathwater with the 6.5 pounds of fat. Uh, but we definitely want to make sure that you prioritize protein in the diet. You write that you have been doing a good job there. But as I listened to um, some more experts, Dr. Ted Naiman gave a great show and a great argument for prioritizing protein. Dr. Paul Saladino often says the same thing. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Rob Wolf might as well be a doctor because he's one of the great minds and leaders in the paleo ancestral movement. And his epic quote that I repeat all the time and think about all the time, he says, if you want to live longer, lift more weights and eat more protein protein. And that quote came in the context of uh, some reflection by many of the leaders that are concerns about excess protein consumption that have been voiced over the years seem to be largely unfounded when we're talking about a healthy, fit population. So there was this uh, idea that uh, eating a lot of protein, eating too much protein, could overstimulate growth factors in the bloodstream like mTOR and IGF-1, and this would lead to increased risk of unregulated cell division, which is the essence of cancer. But we're now seeing that, especially if you exist in a feast or famine pattern, like Mark is relating with his compressed eating window, but for all of us, if we're not snacking on protein every hour, having a, a sardine or whatever you're doing, if you're having nice, big, robust meals that emphasize protein, and then banking a lot of hours in the fasted state and allowing your cells to engage in autophagy, that's the cell repair process that best occurs when we're fasted, oh boy, uh, you don't have to be concerned, but you could point your uh, main concern over to maintaining lean body mass, especially as you age. So uh, keep hitting the protein hard, Mark. Maybe uh, consider adding a supplement to your regimen to make sure of that, an easy-to-digest protein supplement, something I've been doing, uh, I'd say, let's say 2021. I've been really uh, turning the corner here and emphasizing this morning smoothie uh, that's been uh, really wonderful because I put all kinds of concoctions in there and supplements, and it's really covering my bases to make sure that I have this massively high uh, nutrient density in the diet. You can look on my Instagram. I had a, a lineup of everything that I'm throwing throwing in there, including chunks of frozen raw liver and uh, raw eggs, along with all the other 
uh, powders and potions. And guess what? I'm uh, making a product that contains all the stuff that I throw into my super nutrition smoothie. So stay tuned for that in 2022. Okay, so Mark says, should I extend my eating window? Sure, I would extend your eating window. And let's say instead of that 18-hour fast to your afternoon meal, why don't you throw in a protein smoothie in the morning and report back? It's very, very difficult to add body fat when you throw in some extra grams of protein in the diet. It's simply not going to be converted into fat, and it could do you a solid if you're uh, in the, on that borderline of potentially losing muscle mass. Let's talk about nootropics. These are supplements designed to improve cognitive function, memory, and creativity. And I'm taking three products from a company called New Optimal, N-U Optimal. The products are MetaFocus, which promotes flow state and improves processing speed and mental clarity. It contains ingredients like phenylalanine, B12, ginkgo biloba. I'm taking MetaMemory, which is good for memory retention, verbal fluency, reduced oxidative stress, very important for the brain. This product has things like lion's mane, pine bark, and bacopa. And I'm taking MetaDrive for motivation, stress resilience. It's got a little boost of caffeine in there, ashwagandha, rhodiola. They're wonderful products with a lot of scientific detail and easy to understand information on their website. So you get the big picture of what these products are all about, not just stuffing pills down your face, but how to do the stack as they call it strategically. You get a 16 page booklet that'll guide you to optimal use when you purchase. And guess what? 60 day money back guarantee and 30% discount from me. Listen, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm not a drug guy, but I'm always looking for any type of natural edge I can get, especially for cognition. So guess what? Let's avoid that sugary junk food. Let's get enough sleep. Take a power nap when you need one and consider trying some nootropics to see if you get a natural brain boost. So go visit newoptimal.com, N-U-O-P-T-I-M-A-L and enter the code BRAD30 to get 30% discount when you try it. Newoptimal.com for way more details. Hey, Brad, says Scott Belanger, longtime listener and frequent writer. Uh, I agree with you eliminating all the seed oils from the diet. But if someone's listening for the first time, it would be advantageous for you to explain in detail why these oils are not good for us. Most podcasters simply state, hey, stop consuming the oils, but they don't go far enough to explain why they're not nutritious. Uh, okay. And nice one, Scott. I appreciate the, the opening. So the deal is with these category of oils, uh, correctly referred to as refined industrial seed oils. A lot of times they're called vegetable oils, but these oils are derived from an assortment of seeds. So that would be the correct definition that I try to convey. But we're also talking about quote-unquote vegetable oils. And these products are formed with offensive processing methods. They use chemical solvents and high temperature processing methods because the uh, raw material does not naturally yield oil. Look at the types of oils that are prevalent. Soybean oil, corn oil, sunflower oil, canola oil, which is derived from the rapeseed plant. In contrast, when you think about Olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil, these are the high monounsaturated or in coconut oil's case, high and saturated, but uh, healthy saturated fat. These oils uh, gracefully yield the, uh, the, the end product. Uh, the liquid oil, because they are high fat naturally to begin with. So if you're trying to uh, process the soybean, corn, sunflower, safflower, or canola oil, rapeseed, um, you're talking about a larger project. And in the case of canola oil, there's a difference of opinion where some people are going to tout this as healthy because of its high omega-3 content, because the rapeseed plant is naturally high in omega-3s. But when you take that raw material and mix it with chemical solvents and uh, crush it and uh, produce it at high temperatures in the, in the uh, factory so you can get a liquid final product, it undergoes oxidative damage. And so what you're talking about, that final product in the bottle, as Dr. Kate Shanahan calls it, 
uh, it's radiation in a bottle. And when you consume it or when you heat it up to cook, which is a lot of times what we use, what we do with the bottled uh, industrial seed oils, bottled vegetable oils, as we pour them in a pan and we cook with it, it sustains further oxidative damage so that it literally becomes toxic immediately upon ingestion. Uh, This is because the raw material uh, are classified as polyunsaturated oils. Uh, So you know the term saturated, and you've probably heard the term polyunsaturated as well. When the hydrogen sites are unsaturated, that leaves them more vulnerable to damage from heat, light, and oxygen. For example, when they're being processed in an offensive manner, right? Or when they're sitting uh, on the counter uh, in the sun or, you know, getting aged in your uh, cupboard because a lot of people open up their cupboard and they have these uh, nasty vegetable oils that have been in there for a year. So this is literally a toxic product uh, and getting further toxic when you heat it up. In contrast, when you consider the uh, saturated fat molecule. This means the hydrogen sites are saturated and therefore it is vastly more temperature stable and able to endure high temperature cooking. So we've been told for decades to uh, transition away from saturated fat to polyunsaturated oils. This started with the great switch from butter to margarine back in the 60s and 70s. And this has now all been exposed by emerging science, highly respected resources, uh, virtually without dispute, that this was a massive mistake that has cost uh, hundreds of thousands of human lives every year are directly associated with the consumption of refined industrial seed oils, trans fats, poly, uh, uh, partially hydrogenated fats. And so now everything's unwinding, but we want you to be ahead of the curve and especially reject uh, this disputed opinion where they're touting canola oil is healthy. And that's kind of uh, doing some Google searches, is canola oil healthy? And you'll have some nutritionist writing in an article, uh, but missing that part about the damage sustained during the processing methods. Um, Dr. Kate Shanahan probably the world's leading crusader against the consumption of industrial seed oils. You can see a nice video with her and I uh, talking about that with her husband, Luke, uh, giving some amazing sound bites and very disturbing. One study that she cites uh, showed that in healthy subjects, the ingestion of a single dose of French fries, so probably what a, a small bowl of French fries, uh, resulted in a disturbance to healthy cardiovascular and arterial function, reduction in nitric oxide, the substance that makes arteries run smoothly and supplely. Uh, The disturbance lasted for 24 hours of acute disturbance to the cardiovascular system versus smoking a cigarette. The damage is observed to be uh, lasting for around eight hours. So on an acute level, French fries are arguably worse in some ways to the cardiovascular system than smoking. Hey man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gainswave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gainswave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gainswave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gainswave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainswave from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. 
It's a tune-up for your equipment. And while it's great for ED, Gaines Wave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit GainesWave.com Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area. And you can take advantage of my special promotion. Buy six treatments and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. <sighs> Need we say more? How about this? Um, the, uh, the refined industrial seed oil closely resembles the uh, saturated fat molecule, natural molecule that's part of uh, every cell membrane in the body or most cell membranes in the body. So what happens when you consume these toxic agents is the body is confused and the agent is integrated into healthy fat cells because of its molecular similarity. The body can't tell the difference. Um, Guess what? Once it gets integrated into healthy fat cells, it's very difficult to burn off. And so you start to accumulate these poisons in your fat cells, and they stay there, and they're stubborn. Uh, This is one reason why uh, cellulite exists, and also another reason why people on extreme calorie restriction crash weight loss diets where they lose a ton of body fat in a short time, for example, the television program, or anybody you might have heard about, uh, a lot of times they have kind of a, uh, a, a, a toxic reaction where uh, these agents are being dumped into the bloodstream at a high rate, and they feel nauseous, they feel sick, they feel terrible uh, in the process of doing something that uh, is s- supposed to be a health pursuit. So sometimes you have to uh, reduce the rate of fat reduction when you have been packing all these toxic agents and storing them aside. Whew. I hope that's uh, a nice glimpse at the argument uh, against consuming refined industrial seed oils. Please watch the YouTube video for further details. It's only about 15 minutes long. And you can also go look at some Kate Shanahan shows that we've done where she gets into it. Uh, okay, here comes David. I like the show uh, with Dr. Ted Naiman, and I understand the value of intensity. But it seems like the one thing that was not discussed was injury risk. It seems like it's a high-risk strategy to go to 100% intensity to total muscular failure in a single set, as Dr. Ted recommends. And so to recap that show, uh, he was arguing that unless you challenge the muscles to total failure, you're not going to get a, a significant fitness response. So his prescription for exercise is to go out there and do uh, a few different exercises, a single set to total failure. Of course, this is only going to take, what, a minute or two, depending on what you're doing. And he does those most every day, or he does a little bit uh, every day. Maybe he'll stack like four or five things in a row, and that'll be a pretty fantastic workout if he's doing push-ups to failure, resting a bit, doing a pull-up to failure, resting a bit, sprinting up the top of a nearby hill to failure for one maximum all-out sprint, and then walking home and going about his busy day. And it's a really uh, compelling argument that he makes. Uh, It's very similar to uh, what Dr. Doug McGuff talks about in his book, Body by Science. Please listen to that show. Uh, It might be upcoming if it hasn't published, but it's going to be near uh, the the, the publication of this show. And he talks about going to the gym once a week to do what he calls the big five. These are five different compound movements, full body functional movements, things like leg press, uh, overhead press, uh, lat pull down, uh, seated row, things that are really simple and easy to focus on, just producing a lot of power and uh, exhausting, fatiguing the muscles completely with a single set to total failure. And so when you do this, it is known that you're going to get a profound fitness response. It's going to probably entail um, some significant recovery time afterward because you exhaust the muscles. But Isn't it a high-risk strategy? And could you overdo it if you're trying to do this every day? Well, I guess it's going to be uh, involving some personal experimentation. Like if you did a single set of pull-ups to failure every single day, to me, I think that would be too difficult for me to do. And I'd prefer to do it uh, once or twice a week, let's say, and maybe focus on a different muscle group to mix it up a little bit and probably not necessarily do a single set to failure 
every single day because it starts to get pretty challenging. I know this from the X3 bar protocol. Dr. Jaquish recommends his workout that lasts only 10 minutes. And he wants you to do 10 minutes a day, uh, six days a week. So you're doing a certain group of muscles every other day and then differing muscle, muscle groups every other day. Uh, so for someone who's pretty fit, it seems like, uh, you know, a minimal challenge when you compare to going to the gym and doing an hour long workout a few days a week. Uh, but the workout is so difficult that I found I couldn't sustain that recommendation of doing 10 minutes a day. It was just too, too tiring. So I do the X3 bar, uh, less frequently than that. And it works for me. Uh, but I, I want you to take away kind of the, um, the, beneficial uh, positive insight that you can apply and that is to bring those muscles to total failure with a single set to total failure at least once in a while and if you're missing if that's deficient in your current fitness program you stand to benefit tremendously from going to the maximum and doing something that is uh, safe and effective. So when Dr. McGuff talks about sitting yourself into position on a machine with your body weight balance rather than hoisting around a free weight doing some Olympic lifting, but instead doing a leg press, uh, that's going to greatly reduce the injury risk. And Dr. Ted stuff where he's doing body weight exercises, um, you can get injured doing pull-ups. Believe me, uh, Dave Cobrain has, and, and so have I, tweaked those elbows a little bit, especially if you're not warmed up. But the injury risk is pretty low. Um, sprinting up a hill at full speed coming out of your uh, your home office, that would probably increase the injury risk. And I think anytime you do a sprint, you're going to have an extensive warm-up and preparatory period. So I don't think Dr. Ted would recommend uh, sprinting out of the gate either. Uh, but that takeaway that you can do something that's very short duration with tremendous fitness benefits, I think is the thing to focus on. And David makes a nice uh, uh, food for thought here where he says, um, since I'm an ultra runner, I'm also asking, hey, if it only takes me five minutes a day to get really fit, where's the fun in that? And that's an important point. So if you have uh, disparate fitness goals, one of them being enjoying your time out there on the road to unwind and unplug. And I talk about this with uh, Dr. Steve Cobrin, another listener, and um, he loves to go for long runs. That's part of his life. And uh, he can look at the research and realize that, um, you know, doing a, a single set to failure in the gym uh, stimulates more muscle growth, whatever, whatever. But the, the long distance run has so many forms of beauty. And when you do it at a comfortable pace, rather than exceeding that aerobic limit, it's going to be 100% healthy as opposed to being risky, uh, as we talk about so much with the uh, chronic, overly stressful training patterns that are seen so frequently in the endurance scene. So uh, enjoy your long runs, enjoy all that sub-maximal exercise that you might do at the gym or wherever you're going, but know that there are some benefits to be had from hitting it hard, as described by Dr. Ted Naiman and Dr. Doug McGuff. Here comes Leah. I'm hoping you can clarify some confusion I have about fasting when lifting weights. I once heard Mark Sisson talk about how fasting after a workout promotes the release of growth hormone and testosterone and that eating a post-workout snack or meal can inhibit the flow of adaptive hormones into the bloodstream because they... Uh, spur insulin production and insulin will remove these agents from the bloodstream, insulin being the storage hormone that's taking the calories and the things out of the bloodstream and putting them into storage. Um, so I came across advice asserting that intermittent fasting and cardio work well together, but that one should either lift during an eating window or eat right after a lifting session. Uh, I really appreciate the question, Leah, and there could be uh, some interesting insights to consider here, um, where cardio, because you're emphasizing fat burning, you can probably get away with uh, doing the workout in a fasted state and also fasting afterward, and in fact, perhaps benefit from that strategy, especially if you're trying to drop excess body fat, because you are really up-regulating fat burning when you do a properly 
conducted fat burning workout and uh, do it in a fasted state. It's like pairing two challenges to uh, the cells to spur mitochondrial biogenesis, the making of new and more efficient mitochondria, and becoming a better and better fat burner by training your body to burn fat through dietary restriction and through the exercise. Now, with lifting, especially if you're doing kind of an involved workout that's lasting longer than uh, 10 or 15 minutes uh, and you're getting into the uh, glycolytic burning state, that means a high glucose burning workout. So that would be a strength training session that lasts 45 or 60 minutes where you're definitely tapping into your glucose reserves. So now you are stressing the body through the high intensity exercise and you are also stressing the body by starving the cells of energy when you deplete glycogen and don't immediately consume calories after the workout. Um, There are those benefits that uh, Mark Sisson and others describe about letting the uh, adaptive hormones circulate in the bloodstream. And then you have sort of a cost benefit to consider because you are further stressing the body from doing the intense workout and then not refueling afterward. Uh, This is an ongoing... Uh, nuance battle that we're all trying to figure out. There's no black and white answer here. I think it's very individual. And I personally have experimented with a variety of different strategies. And I've found that in my age group, which I'm going to throw in there too as a stress factor, trying to perform these explosive high-intensity workouts and then going and fasting afterward sometimes puts me over the edge where the entire experience is a bit too stressful. And what I find is even though I feel great after a sprint workout, I don't need to eat. I'm not starving because I'm still kind of uh, rebalancing and getting back to homeostasis. My body temperature is elevated. My appetite is muted. However, 24 hours later, maybe 36 hours later, I kind of have a lull or a crash and burn experience, and I speculate that it could be have uh, driven by the various stress factors in the checkbox from the previous day. Did a hard workout, didn't eat too much, waited a while after eating, and so uh, in the interest of recovering uh, more efficiently, I'm going to uh, go home and prepare that wonderful smoothie that I mentioned earlier in the show as a routine. Even though I'm not hungry, I'm going to get those amino acids back into the body immediately, get some carbs back in there, and begin the recovery process even at the potential expense of taking some of the adaptive hormones out of my bloodstream earlier than might otherwise happen. Uh, How's that? Uh, Remember the quote from Rob Wolf earlier in the show. Um, remember the crash and burn stories from Brad, where you can definitely overdo it with the stress factors of uh, dietary restriction combined with exercise. And Leah's uh, mentioning that um, she fasts between 8 p.m. and 12 noon, so she's on the 16-hour fasting period. And I do work out at 5 a.m. and then go uh, for many more hours without eating. And so I would also put females in this extra stress category, just like uh, the older age group people like myself. Uh, But when you're talking about the female hormonal system, very uh, apparent that there's much more sensitivity to um, hormonal balance when you are fasting and performing high-intensity exercise. Uh, We've heard so many people talk about the Uh, the thyroid and adrenals being uh, dysregulated due to overly stressful exercise slash eating patterns. So in Leah's case, waking up at 5 a.m. and and hitting it hard and not eating until noon, that could be tempting uh, the the, the balance point there into an overly stressful exercise slash uh, dietary pattern. So it might be something worth experimenting with, for example, getting home from that super early workout and uh, preparing a high-protein smoothie or something to the effect there, and also sleeping in on some of those days instead of uh, going that early, unless you're going to bed at 8, 8 p.m. or something like that. Interestingly, I've found um, in tracking my sleep that the uh, the night after 
a high intensity sprint workout, I need a good solid extra hour of sleep, maybe an hour and a half. And I already sleep a ton anyway. So I'm already sleeping uh, average, probably eight and a half hours, maybe even more than that in the winter, maybe a little less in the summer. And so that means, and this just happened this week, had a really great sprint workout, one of my best in years in terms of uh, the, the volume of work that I performed and the quality. And I slept a 100% solid 10 hours that night. Couldn't believe how late it was when I woke up. And it was definitely attributed to uh, the hard work done earlier in the day. So on that note, not that it's getting late or anything. That would be funny if I said it's time for bed. Uh, but I want you to think about all those things and feel free to um, test and experiment, especially with refueling in conjunction with high-intensity workouts. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to doing more questions later. Have a great day, everybody. Who knew that sleep was so important to health? Everyone knows, and we all know that it's important to minimize artificial light and digital stimulation after dark. But did you know that your body temperature has to drop a couple of degrees for you to fall asleep? And we have to maintain a cool body temperature throughout the night to cycle optimally through all phases of sleep. Now, we've done this naturally for millions of years, sleeping in caves. But today, we crank the heat, we overload on the blankets, and it's not uncommon to awaken at night. Not only from people that have these major night sweats, but also minor overheating that you might not even realize is disturbing your sleep. Chili Sleep Systems offers an awesome solution of a customizable, climate-controlled mattress pad using circulating water. Jumping into a pre-cooled bed will help lower your core body temperature and trigger a deep, relaxing sleep. I love the machine because it also makes a beautiful, relaxing white noise. To be clear, ideal sleep environment is a slightly lower body temperature via cool air in the room and a cool mattress and with your skin comfortably warm with the right pajamas and blankets. Chili Sleep's Uller System, O-O-L-E-R, allows you and your sleeping partner of choice to program different temperatures for each side of the bed via your smartphones. No more temperature wars. You can also program a gradual morning warming of the bed for a graceful morning wake-up. So please head over to Chili Sleep, C-H-I-L-I Sleep dot com slash Brad for Chili Sleep's best deal, which they are offering to B-Rad podcast listeners for limited time. That's chillysleep.com slash Brad for a special offer. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.